first reading this morning is Haggai chapter 2, and that's on page 668. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled with contact with a defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. <clears throat> then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. 
second reading is John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. It's on page 764 of your pew Bibles. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of the Lord. Again, welcome. Uh, if you could flick back to that first reading, the strange reading, the obscure one from Haggai chapter 2 would be a great help. That's what we'll be looking at. We, we find ourselves again uh, 500 odd years, 520 years before Jesus uh, turned up. We find ourselves again amongst the people of God who had returned from a period of exile, a period of hardship. With all the strange names, it can feel a little alien and yet the God who spoke then still speaks and it is a fresh word we'll see for us today. And so have it open, be ready for God to speak to us and if you're feeling a little cool on, a, on this kind of day, snuggle up next to somebody and keep warm so you can pay attention carefully to what the Lord has to say to us. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you for uh, the comfort in which we can meet. We thank you for the privilege of meeting with your people and the encouragement that is. Uh, we thank you that even though you spoke these words two and a half thousand years ago by your spirit, you still speak them to our hearts and minds. And so we pray today, speak to us. By your Spirit, write these words in our hearts and minds. Give us strength and courage by them. Help us to love you more that we might live for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past few weeks, God, I think, has really been speaking to us as a church family, speaking to us about making him known, speaking to us about our priorities, about building his people up, about bringing him glory. 
If you've not been with us for the past few weeks in the morning, let, let me fill you in. Two weeks ago, we looked at the start of Haggai, Haggai 1, this invitation to be a considerate liver, to think carefully uh, about our ways and our priorities, whether, whether we actually prioritise the building of God's house. You know, be reflective about, and honest about whether we become distracted with our own little affairs and not put effort into, into building his people. Uh, we're not building temples anymore, but, but building the, the gathering of believers up. And I know from conversations with, with people, people have been considering it. Uh, someone emailed me about the way it was impacting their approach to house hunting. You know, last week we turned our thoughts, we took a break from Haggai, we turned our thoughts to, to God's purposes around the world, we, uh, a global mission focus. Uh, we saw how the one true God was worthy of praise from every nation, every people. Uh, we were challenged, as Morgan brought the word to us, to, about how we felt about that need for God to be praised, how we felt about the fact that people will face him in judgment. You know, last week's global mission focus was a, a reminder for me and probably for many of us to, to lift our gospel ambitions, not just to, to here in the lower North Shore, but actually see that massive harvest in the whole world. You know, God, I think, has really been speaking to our church family about our priorities and whether we have gospel ambitions in the last few weeks. You know, and I know this can be daunting, you know, I feel a little daunted about thinking about how we're going to transform this suburb, how we're going to build this church, how we're going to transform this world. And it makes Haggai 2 a, a timely word of encouragement. Because at the heart of Haggai 2 is this call to be strong in the Lord's work, for it's the Lord who does the work. Because you know, he is the power. 2 verse 4 is perhaps the key verse. Captures it beautifully. Be strong, O Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Be strong and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Yeah, it is a call to be strong, not this kind of you know, demand, you better pick yourselves up by the bootstraps and work a bit harder. No, 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 not that kind of thing. It's, it's a call for strength and work for people who are daunted to remember that the power really resides in God. Be strong and work because it is the Lord who strengthens you. Because Haggai was speaking to a people daunted by the prospect of the Lord's work. We've got to get that before uh, the comfort comes through. Uh, The first clue is actually in the date. Verse 1, 21st day of the seventh month in the second year of King Darius' reign. And you kind of go, well, in our language, that was the 17th of October, 520 BC. And we're all going, oh, that's helpful. You know, I have a suspicion we're so used to skipping dates in the Bible that um, you know, had Camilla started in verse 2, no one would have minded. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean much to it, and yet dates have significance, don't they? You know, I have to say September 11, don't have to say any more, you already know its significance. You know, I can talk about going for a, a walk by the ocean in the middle of June and you know it's a very different walk to the one I would have taken in the middle of January. You know, dates actually mean something. They make all the difference. Uh, the 21st day of the seventh month makes all the difference in how these people were feeling about what Haggai was going to say. Now, the date says that many of those people would have been overwhelmed. It's only been a month since they were challenged by Haggai, get building, build this temple. In other words, they've had a month to, I suppose, clear the site, test the you know, safety of the walls, clear some rubble, organise a couple of tradies to come in. You know, like they've just got to the point of realising how big a task is ahead of them. You know, it's overwhelming. Yeah, and the date points to something of their frustration as well. The seventh month in the Jewish calendar was actually the busiest month of festivals and holy feasts. 
Uh, so not only you had your usual day off for a Sabbath, uh, you had this stack of public holidays in the seventh month. Uh, on the first day was your Feast of Trumpets. On day 10, you had the Day of Atonement. And then you had a week off from the 15th day, 15th to the 22nd, you had the Feast of Tabernacles. So for those who'd repented and said, yeah, Lord, we want to get on to building this, they'd be getting that frustration at all this downtime. You know, when are we going to get this work done if we're busy feasting? And, and even more, they would have got the disappointment because they had this month of feasting on basically a construction site. You know, they're, they're supposed to be celebrating God, but they're being reminded how bad the situation was. Uh, in, in 2 verse 3, Haggai reminds them just how lacklustre this restored temple was going to be. Uh, he, he reminds those people, the older people, the people in their 70s and 80s who, who would have known the original temple with all its glory and the gold and the timber lining before it had been all stripped out by the invaders and taken off to the coffers. Now, 400 years earlier at this same feast, uh, Solomon had dedicated the original temple. And so to celebrate and have feasts like that is just a reminder of how bad things were and how disappointing things are and how they don't have the finances anymore to get the glory back. And, and, and you add that sense of disappointment, you add some defeat. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three times in the year where they were meant to bring their tithes in, to bring their offerings to God. But all they had to offer was quite feeble. Look at verse 16. Haggai reminds them there of their, their poverty that had come from ignoring God. You know, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there are only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. Now, that is, even now when they, they've repented and they want to please God, they've only got feeble offerings to bring. It's just this kind of sense of, of defeat, it's, and it's in feeble surroundings. You know, all around them was a reminder as they came to this altar to do their offerings that they were reminded they've got no completed temple and so really what we're doing is no good. Yeah, that's the point of uh, verses 10 to 14. I'll, I'll, you know, you can read them more closely later. But he has these rhetorical questions in, in verse 10 to 14. Uh, in verse 12, he points out that holiness is not contagious. Okay, so you can't rub holy things off and make them. But in verse 13, defilement, uncleanness, unholiness, that is contagious. So defiled things make other, you know, other things equally unclean. And so in verse 14, God's saying, your offerings on the holy altar are actually unclean in God's sight because you are doing it in these defiled surroundings. You haven't done the temple yet. Yeah? And so they're bringing substandard offerings in a substandard place. And so you can imagine, yeah, great, we've got this week of feasting in the seventh month and it would have been so disappointing. Yeah, and on top of that, there's, I suppose, a growing disillusionment. In verse 10, we're reminded it's the second year of Darius, get, you know, king over all this great empire, of which they were just a tiny little part. Uh, in a world scale, um, Darius had come to power in, a, a, I suppose, suspicious circumstances. A certain rival happened to die at a convenient moment. Uh, and there were a couple of little rebellions that had started as he tried to get power. But now in his second year, he's quelled all those. And so for them, they're kind of going, well, what hope have we got? You know, he's gripping power even more tightly. And we're just insignificant, an insignificant province in this massive empire. You get it? Haggai is speaking to people who, who hear God's challenge and they're feeling daunted, they're feeling overwhelmed. Now, again, I want to say, because of the coming of Christ, our work has changed. You know, we're not here to build a physical temple back on Mount Zion. What we are called to do is build the, the gathering of believers around Jesus. Invite everyone to join with us into it, to, to strengthen each other's faith. That's what we're called to do. And that work can be daunting. 
You know, our church's motto for 2011, reaching those we know, that is having in mind three particular people who we want to bring to know Jesus Christ. Now, if that makes you feel overwhelmed, you're not alone. You know, if you feel frustrated by, by the kind of slow pace that Christian growth and transformation happens in your life or, or happens in the life of people around you, then don't worry, you're not alone. You know, if you feel defeated or in some sense disappointed, with the, the small impact that the news of Jesus seems to make on our neighbourhood, in our city. If you feel disillusioned about the, the kind of rise of false religions and, and secularism around the world, you're not alone to be daunted that way. You know, Haggai speaks to people who feel like that, who feel daunted by the task the Lord has put before them. But recognising that feeling, he speaks encouragement. He says clearly, be strong and work. Be strong and work because the Lord himself does the work. Three ways in which we see it in Haggai's time. Three things I want you to hold on to to strengthen you. First, be strong because the Lord is with you. Now, the promise again, I want to take it back to verse 4. I am with you. There at the end of verse 4. I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Now, he is echoing words that were spoken to Joshua and Israel when they were in the promised land. Uh, in terms of you know, the importance in, in, in God's you know, salvation history plans, they're encouraged to see your job of rebuilding the temple is just as important, just as exciting as up there with it. It's up there with the first time Israel went into the promised land. Yeah, and the encouragement is clinched with reference in verse 5 to, to a covenant God made, a promise God made to them when they left Egypt. See, in Exodus 34, verse 10, God said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is that work that I, the Lord, will do for you. See, the daunted people of Haggai's time are, are reminded of God's commitment to them, of doing great wonders for them, for his people. You know, be strong, he says, because I am with you and I am for you. you know, and, and they're meant to remember as well the time when God made this covenant. Straight after the golden calf incident. That is, moments after Israel got saved from Egypt. You know, Israel en masse mocked God. They abandoned God. They despised God. They built a little statue and they started worshipping it. You know, Haggai wants these daunted people to remember God is committed to them even after seeing their failures. You know, he is committed to them, weak and sinful as they are. He isn't with them because they are fantastic, but because he is faithful and, and is merciful. You know, that commitment to be with his people is, the, is, is like a silver thread that runs through the Bible story. You know, and if you grasp that, it lifts a weight off your shoulder. You know, we can be strong and we can do the work of building these body of believers and inviting others to it because we're not alone. As we read in John 14, uh, the, the experience for, for Christian people, uh, those who believe in Jesus, actually intensified compared to what they had. They, they had God's Spirit among them. We have God's Spirit within us, teaching us to live His ways. You know, we have His presence in us for good and for our good. Uh, as Romans 8 reminds us, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. A friend recently told me he was despondent about his church. Despondent was the word he used. 
another friend of mine in, uh, in post-quake Christchurch uh, said to me that it's hard for him to hope and see the way forward. You know, if I was a sharper person, <laughs> I, I would have reminded them of God's promise, I am with you, just like Haggai did. You know, alone, of course, you'll be overwhelmed at the task God puts before us, but his presence is our strength. You know, secondly, be strong because the Lord is mighty. He's not just with us, he is powerful with us. At the end of verse 5, they are encouraged, do not fear. You know, they weren't a superpower. They had every human reason to be afraid of other nations. But Haggai reminds them they've got a divine reason to not be afraid, to be fearless in his work. They've got the might of the Lord. Uh, in verse six, uh, 2, verse 6, God promises that he will, he will again shake creation. It's an allusion to Exodus 19. God appeared at Mount Sinai and he shook creation and he promised he will shake the nations as well. That is, no power on earth is actually unshakable. They can be rocked by God. They're not absolute. And so in verse 7, the nations that Israel are afraid of are actually going to be moved to quite literally bring their desirables bring the wealth that they glory in and they will bring what they glory in, all their cash and they will bring it to glorify God and they will do it because in verse 8 all that cash, all that wealth is already God's. Every cent that travels through your purse, through your wallet gets transferred on the credit card that's all at the possession and direction of the Lord. In verse 9 he promises that he will make a future house greater than Solomon's, a place where peace gets distributed to anyone who wants it. You know, to people who are, who are feeling overwhelmed, who are daunted, who are, who are disappointed in their lack of resources, God is encouraging them, no, no, be strong because he's mighty. You know, creation, uh, political forces, you know, the universal power and allure of cash, all those things are at God's disposal. We don't need to be afraid of them. Yeah, and if you grasp just how mighty the Lord is, it does strengthen you. It is comfort in an overwhelming world. You don't need to be in control to be strong. You don't need to be in control of your life. You don't need to be in control of everything to be strong and committed to his work. Now, I think often we, we kind of pull back from doing the Lord's work because so much of life feels out of our control and we're busy trying to grab it back. Now, I read this quote from a newspaper. The world is too big for us. Too much going on, too many crimes. Too much violence and excitement. Try as you will, you get behind in the race. It's an incessant strain to keep pace and still you lose ground. Science empties its discoveries so fast you stagger beneath them in hopeless bewilderment. The political world is news seen so rapidly you're out of breath trying to keep pace with who's in and who's out. Everything is high pressure. Human nature can't endure much more. Yeah, life can be overwhelming, can't it? But it's always been like that. That quote from the newspaper was actually dated June 16, 1833. You know, they couldn't keep up then. This is pre-social media. This is pre-the global village, you know, and still the world was too big. The pressure was too much. But the Lord has always been bigger than the world. You don't have to... To, to get life and this world under control before you can be strong and commit yourself to building the Lord's house. 
And don't let our fear of, of you know, reputation with the neighbours or of workplace leaders or worrying about a lack of church resources stop us proclaiming Christ and building each other up in him. We can be strong for the Lord is mighty. And finally, we can be strong because he brings about his great future. So in verse 9, again, that promise, he will make a future house better than Solomon's day, something more glorious, a place where, where peace and satisfaction flow out. Uh, further down, when we get to the end bit from verse 19, there's a beautiful line, from this day on I will bless you. And then right at the end in verse 21, the Lord speaks of another shaking, another moment where he'll make his presence felt and paints a cosmic picture. All creation will be shaken and the nations, their powers will be shaken. But this time, instead of shaking powers of the nations so that they'll come and bring their glory to him, their wealth to him, he's going to shake them to the point that their glory is taken away. They'll be overthrown. Uh, their source of power, that is their, their elite army of charioteers, that will be dismantled. They will have no more power. And in their place, God will put a ruler. You know, there's this promise of, about a guy called Zerubbabel, a chosen signet ring. It's a, it's a reference back to something God had said before Jerusalem fell. God had said through, uh, but before they went to exile, uh, through Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 22, God warned the king of Judah at the time, a guy called Jehoiachin. Uh, he said, you're going to be rejected. He said in Jeremiah 22, 24, that Jehoiachin, even if you were my signet ring, I'd still pull you off and throw you away. Yeah, but here in Haggai, he's, he, he's reaffirming his commitment to establish one of King David's descendants to rule again. He, he's not an ordinary ruler. He will be the perfect servant of God. He's not an ordinary ruler in that he will be the only power because every other power will be brought down. Yeah, Haggai 2 is about painting a beautiful picture for us to get excited about. Uh, it's a time of peace, a time of godly security, uh, a time of abundant blessing. It's a time where people can come and meet with God and be ruled well. You know, to people who feel daunted, they're called, be strong. You commit yourself to the Lord's work because God will bring about a great future. And God keeps his promises. Uh, we read in Ezra 6 that, King Darius goes on to actually bankroll the financing of this rebuilding project. Uh, he gives commandments that the neighbouring nations who didn't really like them had to make contributions to build their temple. And God keeps his promises even more. In Christ, a greater, more glorious meeting place between God and humanity was made. In Christ, there is, there is one great ruler who has been elected. Uh, though in Hebrews 12, we know that you know, we're still waiting for his unshakable kingdom to come completely. In Christ... Peace with God and man has been made once and for all. You know, we are to strongly commit ourselves to the Lord's work because he has brought this great future and he will bring an even greater one. You know, and if you grasp that, if you get what God will bring about, you're freed from longing for the halcyon days of the past. You know how we all do it? We kind of slip the rose-coloured glasses on and we look back to the good old days. We can even do it spiritually. You know, it's easy to slip in talk of the, the good old days. You know, if you've been Christian for a while, you can remember when youth groups burst at the seams. You can think about maybe your enthusiasm you used to have before you got a little bit tired and busy with jobs and mortgages and family. And, you know, there's one particular Christian I, I see. Every time I see him, he reminds me of um, the great work he did as a parish councillor back in the 1970s. You know, it's easy to look back to the days that used to be great. Uh, this week I, I caught up with friends who uh, used to be part of this congregation. They're now back living in France, but they were uh, visiting. 
It was really lovely to see them again and it, it reminded us of you know, happy times in church life and that's great. But Haggai has encouraged me to, we don't need to even hold on to the present. Yeah, it might be nice and comfy at the moment at church. No, let's not hold on to that. Let's be strongly committed about the great things that God is yet to bring about, the great future he has in store. Let's long for that, not pine for the halcyon days or hang on to the moment. You see, over the the past few weeks, God is speaking to us, his people. He's speaking to each one of us. He's speaking to us as a group to think about our priorities, about making him known, about building his people, about bringing him glory. And if you feel daunted by that, or have felt daunted, I encourage you, hang on to what Haggai 2 says. Be strong in the Lord's work, for it's the Lord who does the, Lord, does the work for us. And again, 2 verse 4, be strong, be strong, be strong and work, for I am with you, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the great task you've set before us to bring people to know you and to build others up that you might be honoured Heavenly Father, we thank you that no task you set before us, you don't help us with. We thank you that you are with us, your spirit is amongst and uh, within us. We thank you that you are mighty and we thank you that you bring about your great plans and purposes. And so, Father, help us to be strong. Help us to hold on to what you're doing and help us to work in such a way that pleases and honours and glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.